Bonvolu al conlangeri, la podcasto pri construitae lingvoi, kai la homoi kioi creasilin. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me in the great state of Wisconsin, we have William Annis. Hello. And over in New Jersey, we have one Mike Lentine. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, so, Mike is joining us for the first time. This is sort of a, a trial run to see if he wants to. And, uh, Mike and I have a personal connection. Mike was in the same Chinese class as I was in uh, WVU. Um, his Chinese name was Yiming, in case anyone's curious. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, Mike, so, so that uh, listeners know who you are and stuff, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself, how you got into conlanging and into linguistics in general? All right, that's fine. Well, um, geez, I've always been interested in language. Even before I knew what conlang was, I was doing it and working with languages. And uh, I studied Spanish the very first chance I could get. And then I did French and then German and then Russian and then Chinese. And then, well, it just kind of snowballed from there. And I know. I know that process very well. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's wonderful. It's blissful, but it's it's decadent too. Yeah. Um, but so I've been conlanging, and I've been um, working with language for, geez, since uh, since since last since last millennium, I think. Um, <laughs> but um, I've since re- my most recent linguistic trek, I was over in Taiwan for a year teaching English, and. Uh, I was able to work with learning some Chinese over there, and uh, now I'm just back in New Jersey working with conlanging and um, the conlangers, and I really enjoy it. That's great. I See, wanted to. Well, I was going to say when when I was first taking Mandarin in school, I'm like, oh yeah, I could go to Taiwan. I learn Chinese, but now, mm-hmm. if I went to Taiwan, I'd head off to the back country and try to find people speaking the native um, Austronesian languages. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. See, I would I would first go to my sister-in-law's family, and there's some members of them that can speak uh, Taiwanese. Yes, I'd heard a lot of that over there. Yeah, um, I, I've been I I thought of before I applied to grad school. I thought of going to to China or Taiwan and teaching English, but I never got to got around to to going through all that i've always felt that i was i was kind of uh scared away by horror stories so <laughs> sure so what what textbooks are people using for chinese classes now did you guys have the ones from the the beijing language school uh we used integrated chinese oh yeah. no for some reason my school always used these things from beijing so i knew how to say people's liberation army before i could ask where the bathroom was <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 and and no also communist. and and also our teachers had that strong Beijing burr. <laughs> yeah, right? I know it's, that. It's ihor idir. Oh, yeah, the, 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 the Taiwanese. The Taiwanese. When I tried to speak Chinese with them, would laugh and laugh and laugh when I talked like I was from Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my teacher was Taiwanese, but she still wanted us. To learn sort of more mainland terms, uh-huh. um, and see, I've had exposure to both because I I stayed in um, in Suzhou on the mainland and uh, in Hangzhou, and also I um, I have you know a Taiwanese teacher had Taiwanese teachers. I have a, a sister-in-law who's Taiwanese, so mm. I've been exposed to to. Uh, both sides of the of the strait. So, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, you were you were in Taiwan mainly, but have have you been had you been to mainland at all? Or no, actually, I've not. Be, I've not yet been to mainland China. Um, but while I was in Taiwan, I did hear that Taiwanese come in and the Taiwanese accent 
um, they lose the retroflex on a lot of those retroflex consonants. And it, well, it's funny because when I saw uh, our Chinese teacher, Lin Nao, she, she was scolding me because she's like, ah, oh, yeming, you, you know, and she would shake her head sadly because she wanted us to have a broad kind of mainland and Taiwan balance, I suppose. And uh, I guess... She thought a very standard Mandarin that included the 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 retroflex distinction. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, the loss of the retroflex always made me giggle about the idea of Taiwanese people saying the the what is it the forty four stone lion tongue twister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but without retroflex. Oh, <laughs> all of our oh. listeners are like, "What are they talking about? Why are they all laughing?" Oh, we don't. We, 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 Let's 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 kind of uh, stop talking about Chinese. I'm sure it will come up at some point in the in the podcast because it always seems to. Yeah. But uh, why don't we get into what our main topic is? And this is uh, one of William's practicums that he suggested, and it's uh, getting rid of adjectives. How to get rid of adjectives? And William, according to your notes, you were saying. It's not necessarily getting rid of, but maybe lessening the 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 uniqueness of adjectives or not having them so much as a separate category. Right. That's the point here is you still need to be able to do a bunch of things in any language. If you want to say something's big, you need some way to mark either predication, the house is large, or attribution, the big house. And in Indo-European languages, we're used to these being a separate category of word with their own grammar, um, agreement mechanisms, and so on and so forth. And there are plenty of languages that do not have adjectives in the grammatical sense mm. and do attribution and predication in different ways. So I just wanted to go through a long list of possibilities for how that could be done. All right. Sounds uh, good. Um, I suppose the first important distinction then is that I was talking about here, I'm going to keep using this terminology, is attribution or attributive adjectives and predicate or predication adjectives. And the attributive attribution is the large book versus a predicate, the book is large. Okay. So you might have a language that has no predicate adjective in the sense that we're used to, but might have attributives perfectly fine or vice versa. Um, wait, do we have vice versa where you have no? Well, anyway, I mean, there's different mix and match we can do. So I guess we'll start with the first one. And this is on my mind because I've been studying classical Nahuatl. That language has nothing that really matches adjectives. Everything's a noun. Okay. With the proviso that all nouns in Nahuatl are also kind of verb-like. Hmm. So how's that for confusing? Basically, nouns are used in piles, and the good house will have two nouns in apposition. One hmm. meaning house, one meaning a good thing or person. That's interesting. Um, and does. that's Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that does sound interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's more common that you might think in terms of just grammatical structure. Um, because Nawat has no case marking and only marginally things like number, um, you don't have this – you don't have to worry about agreement mechanics because there are none. Okay. So that makes that easier to do. So that's one thing I want to point out. It may not be easy to only use noun-like things um, if you take out your case marking. That might be a little uncomfortable because you're going to be doing identical case marking. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. It just seems to me that noun-like, really strongly noun-like um, adjective things um, seem to me to be less common in highly noun-inflecting languages. I could be completely wrong about that, and someone could tell me, but from what I've seen, that seems to be the case. Well, um, English has very little case marking, and we know that English, you can slot a noun into the, the modifier slot of a noun phrase. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really good example. English is more loosey-goosey about this than, than probably a language like Latin or even Spanish mm -hmm. or French. Oh, yeah. Spanish is... 
is terrible. <laughs> right, all the Romance languages are very fastidious about agreement, where English really doesn't have any agreement marking at all. Yeah. Um, Mike, do you have any sort of thoughts about this particular um, this particular kind of uh, fudging the, the distinction between adjectives and nouns by not requiring agreement? Well, I think if you did that, it would definitely make... Um, how would you determine which was modifying which? I suppose it would be mainly driven by the order of the words, right? Um, yeah, in the Nahuatl case, not so much. You can use oh. them in either order. Because they're just nouns in, in um, apposition. Mm-hmm. They're not um. actually... So, so the Nahuatl structure, there's not even like an adjective slot. You're saying nope. this, this... You're saying instead of the good house, it's the house, which is a thing that, it's, that is good. Right. Now, here's a question. If you, for example, have, um, if you have one word for, say, bird and one word for, I don't know, cat, and you put them next to each other, does that mean the bird like cat or the cat like bird? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If you want oh. to talk about things that have the quality of something, there are mm. derivations that give you sort of verby-like things or, oh, okay. or additional things. So just using a bare noun mm-hmm. as a modifier seems marginal to me. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so the possibilities, and let's see if I can remember all of them in Nahuatl, are um, house, good thing, mm-hmm. good thing, house, the house, the good thing. Oh, oh! So it has to take the the definite marker if it can. You can still just have your normal um, two nouns in either order with the article in front, or you can have both of them with the article. Oh, okay. So this this seems to sort of break down the concept of a noun phrase a little bit. Uh, well, as I said, most people consider Nahuatl. Um, at least somewhat non-configurational already, so having the noun phrase being a little bit rough around the edges is not a surprise. Uh-huh. And then again, so that's you know, attribution and predication is very simple because all noun-like things can be conjugated like verbs anyway, so you want to say it is good or he is good or you are good, then you just mm-hmm. conjugate in the normal way. Okay. So I think that's a that's a good um we we talked a good uh that's a a good sort of summary of that that um particular type at least as regards how Nahuatl does it but right. um I don't know other languages that do this so thoroughly as Nahuatl so um, yeah. There may be some other useful points out there that I'm missing. Yeah, we but we covered a few sort of of the uh, the challenges of it. Why don't we kind of move on? I think the next thing in your uh, list is using verbs. Yes. Um. So that's not obviously insane. Where you have <laughs> verbs that are all statives. So instead of saying you know, just blue, you have a verb that means to be blue mm-hmm. um, or to be big or whatever. And then predication is very simple. He is blue, no problem. How do you say, you know, the blue bird? Mm-hmm. So there's several ways you can go about this. The simplest is have something like a relative clause. Okay. The bird, which is blue, um, and... English has very heavy relative clauses. You have to have a pronoun and you have to have a pickup verb. So the blue bird versus the bird which is blue is quite a lot wordier. Whereas in a language like Navajo, um, this sort of syntax is used all over the language and it amounts to a single short syllable at the end of your verb. So it's really easy to produce these relative – what are effectively relative clauses for the bird which is blue is – it's very simple. Mm. Um, some languages like uh, Coptic um, has a special kind of conjugation just for relative clauses, and they use that for that subset of their adjective-like things that are verb-like. Hmm. Yeah. So that's simple. Yeah. I, I, I keep – and Mike, you, you'd probably appreciate this kind of point. I, thinking of – 
using verbs made me think of actually Chinese for a little bit yeah. because Chinese kind of has dedicated adjectives, but they can all become stative verbs. Yeah. And when they're adjectives in the attributive sense, they're kind of noun-like in that it's the same kind of structure as if you would put a genitive structure in. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think the Chinese, or I'm going to say the Mandarin adjective is a bit more, is a bit less verb-like than they were in classical Chinese, but I think mm-hmm. they still retain a little bit of that nature. Yeah. Um. So that's one way, simple relative clause, very common. Mm. The next possibility is to nominalize an entire phrase. Um, So you can do two nominalizations. You can either nominalize the verb phrase, which is effectively a kind of relative clause, or in another way of analyzing it, it is another example of two nouns in apposition. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the bird, the one which is blue. (laughs) Um, Or you could do what Lakota does, which is to just slam a definite article on an entire predicate phrase that gives you, in effect, an attributive thing. So, the cat is big versus the it is big cat. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Of course, I'm putting the at the beginning of the noun phrase in Lakota. It follows the phrase, but right. So, where you put the article determines is this... um, uh, a predicate or an attributive phrase. Hmm. Okay. Um, I had another thought about verbs, and uh, I think I've heard about it in uh, Esperanto is kind of free in that sense, where you can make just change the ending and conjugate an adjective and have it become verbal, you know, in terms of what grammar level it is or what part of speech it is. And right. I, mm-hmm. Using that in Esperanto is a little bit marked. Yeah, but I think the way they do it in terms of um, talking about the genitive or what they what they use to talk about, like, the cat is blue or the blue cat, I think they might say, like, the bluing cat. Or, like, the if you're talking about the small cat, I think they'd probably just say the, you know, the cat that is having this property or that is in the, ac- the, uh, the yeah. state of this verb. I'm not That's- sure if they would do it. Mm-hmm. No, actually, you wouldn't. I mean, oh, you really? can. Okay. Esperantists absolutely will take every opportunity to play <laughs> the language they can. But yeah. in general, Esperanto is a straight-up European language in this regard. Mm-hmm. It has adjectives and in your day-to-day activity mm-hmm. and speaking, adjectives agree in number in case they're they're just pretty boring adjectives. Yeah. 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 Es- uh, Esperanto, I understood, had very um, very sort of well-defined de- word classes, even more so than most languages, really. Yeah, I wasn't trying to say they didn't have adjectives. I was just saying if you were to nix the adjective not, uh, grammar class, then you could probably use the, the way they f- treat the verbs in there as that. I wasn't saying that uh, Esperanto didn't have the adjectives. Oh, sure. so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could. Um, honestly, um, but what you were describing sounds like a little bit of one of the the nominalization tricks that William was mentioning you could do is you can just turn sort of turn a state of verb into a noun and use it attributively right mm-hmm. right um this is i think um one real um way to add interest here would be sort of to mix and match and uh, like I, I made a note here. I said, you know, you could always have a mix of stative verbs, of noun-like modifiers, and of some uh, even straight adjectives. If sure. your if sure. your uh, language even has the word class. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a few examples of that as well. We can get to in a bit. So for now, I've been talking about verbs replacing adjectives, straight up stative verbs, which are indistinguishable from the rest of the verb system. It turns out that very often these adjective-like verbs, these stative verbs, are restricted compared to a verb like kick mm-hmm. or run. They often occur in fewer classes of various sorts. They might occur in fewer tenses. They might occur in fewer moods. All of these things are somewhat restricted. So even though they're quite verb-like, going so far as to be conjugated, they might still not be 
100% verb-like compared to the rest of the language. Mm. Okay, so they might have some something that differentiates them a little bit. Right, right. I think... Um, we'll get mail about this if I'm wrong. I think Japanese falls into this category where it has very verb-like adjectives except... Or it has a class of very verb-like adjectives, but yeah, the, the I adjectives. Yeah, right. There, there, there's some restrictions on how just how verb-like they can be. Uh huh. Japanese is a good example of the mix and match thing because they have one class that is verb-like, the I adjectives, and then the na adjectives, I guess, are sort of noun-like. They have to be connected with a particle and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So. Those are your, your simple things. You can either have adjectives as a class like an Indo-European, you can have them as nouns and apposition, or you can have them as verbs. Then you have all of these great languages that do different sorts of things. Hopi has verb-like adjectives. The predicate is an independent verb-like thing, but when it's attributive, it turns into a prefix. Hmm. Oh. Um, not only does it turn into a prefix, but it can take multiple. You can say the big angry cat turns into a great big word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. With big, you know, and angry being separate words that get crammed in and then cat. And because it's Hopi, of course, there's this chain effect of vowel alterations and shortenings and oh man, <laughs> and, 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 and lenitions that happen at word boundaries and, and morpheme boundaries. So it can get a little bit complicated. Polysynthesis for the win. Well, you wouldn't right. want to get bored. No, no. no. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> polysynthesis and and uh, chained reductions. Chained reductions. Um, all, uh, frankly, all of the utilized tech and languages are more approachable than most of their neighbor languages hmm. in terms of just having to learn stuff. So that's that. Um, Algon- the Algonquin languages have very funny things. Most of their adjectives are, again, verb-like. Mm-hmm. But they have a bunch of things called pre-nouns, where a small set of adjective-like meanings are prefixed, um, but they have no independent form. Um, some okay. very basic ideas of things like size, amount, mm-hmm. age are the usual category. So these pre-nouns are not they're not as there's usually not a huge number of them. Okay. And so for those, attribution is very easy, but how do you say the cat is big when you have no independent form of big? You have to say the cat is a big cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's All right. great. Can you say the cat is a big thing or yeah. anything? No, I think I, the example I saw, the noun was repeated. Okay, so so you don't even you can't even sort of do an aphorism to to save yourself or anything. Um, not in the Algonquin languages that I've studied. Maybe some allow that, and there may be natural languages where you can. Yeah, I'm I, I'm specifically talking about Algonquin. I'm sure yeah. there are languages that do have a similar thing, and you have a an anaphora thing. Yeah, well, Algonquin and then the higher-level Algic language family are kind of huge, so I hesitate to say across the board that none of them do that, but the big ones that that find themselves in grammars for linguists mm-hmm. to read seem to work this way. Okay, yeah, Mike, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that, um, like you were saying, if you could say the cat is a big thing, or if you could refer to uh, a larger class that included like the cat is a big animal or the cat is a big organism – It'd be surprising if there weren't some way to kind of paraphrase that if you did really want to say the A is a B in that kind of f- structure. But I've never studied them myself, so you'd know a lot better than I would. Yeah, it, it, like I said, the, the set of adjective-like concepts that mm-hmm. follow this syntax is small enough that I'm not sure it's a great big burden. Hmm. Yeah, it old, may be old, young, big, small, tall, short. That, that's the usual sort of set. And these adjective ideas are often peculiar in many languages. Yeah. Okay. Well, you could, if it's a very small set, very small, very common sets of things can preserve some really wacky stuff. So. Right. Right. Um, and then the last bit of fun I just wanted to mention was Coptic. And this gets back to what George was talking about in having sort of a mix of things. Coptic has two possibilities. It has 
a, a much larger set of noun-like adjectives, um, and it has a smaller class of verb-like things that have to use a relative clause. Mm-hmm. So when you say the book is big, um, you have to say the book is a big thing. You know, I think I have actually accidentally created some of the relative clause ones for Ayuruyo, because there's an alternate relative clause structure that can be used almost like turning a a uh, verb into like a defective adjective. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> um, so the fun thing about Coptic is because they're both nouns, the two things follow from that. First, a particle links the two elements together. Mm-hmm. The, it's, it's a syllabic N, which means that that particle looks like half the other grammatical particles in Coptic, which all look like <laughs> N for some reason mm. to me. Um, but they can come in either order. Oh. Oh. So the big book and the book, the, the big book can either be book and big or big and book. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, that is interesting. And when you want to use one of those in predication, the adjective-like thing must take an indefinite article prefix. Hmm. You just don't say the book is big. You say the book is a big one. <laughs> the book is a big one. That's right. That's interesting. So Coptic is sort of an odd hybrid thing then. Right, a hybrid thing. And it's a hybrid in which it is imported an enormous number of um, Greek vocabulary, which apparently at optional complete free will, sometimes they agree grammatically, sometimes they don't yeah. for gender. Um, and they fall into the noun-like behavior. Um, mm. And the rest are this special conjugation that Coptic has for relative clauses. Yeah. Mm. Well, that that looks like all the things you had noted down here yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike, do you have any other thoughts about this that you or or questions or anything that you might want to raise? Well, um, when we were talking about nouns and apposition, I think we mentioned that there was. Um, I think that was Nahuatl. They don't have a case marking, right? Right. I wonder if there's a way you could. I'm sure there is a way that you could use case on the noun that you want to say at, in the attributive sense, um, and then just have it. If you did want to have a conline that used case marking. You could perhaps include a case for the attributive. So if you're using, say, the big cat, you could say the big and then have the saying, hey, this is an attribute, and then have the cat after it and just have it agree in some way that in that dimension. Sure, and that's basically what Coptic does. It has this oh. linking grammar mm-hmm. um, that combines these two elements. Couldn't you also have a case mark on a clitic? That goes on the whole noun phrase. Sure, that seems very common as well. And then word order would disambiguate which one is the head. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, uh uh-huh. That's, that's, that that was an interesting sort of, um, I want to say, do we want to, like we did with the last uh, practicum on getting rid of case marking, do we want to give people homework? (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, if they want to share some of their interesting systems, that's fine. But this is, has um I think it presents fewer challenges in terms of I think it's easier to wrap your brain around this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really I think the only two th- things that you have to remember is you have to be able to do both the attributive and the predicate. Right. Mm. And I don't know if we really would want to do the homework cuz cuz that would require a sort of restricting it to certain things and sure. Sure. I think it's better that we just leave all the options open so that people just in their regular language maybe decides to create another class of adjectives that works a different way. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. So one thing I did want to mention that, that what you were saying reminded me. So we've been talking about Nahuatl mm-hmm. and we've been talking about Hopi. So these are two uto Aztecan languages. Um, and we've been talking about how in some of these, especially these nouny um, adjective languages, the order can be quite flexible. Uh-huh. Is the noun-like thing or the adjective-like thing in terms of how we, usually, we English speakers think about coming first? And it's often very free. But what you often get then as a result is a distinct way to notice whether something is an attribute or if it is a predicate. Mm-hmm. In the case of Chemewevi, which is yet another Uto-Second language, um, 
adjectives are very boring. They just they're just they take no special marking when they are attributive, and they can come either before or after the noun, completely at will. Hmm. When okay. it's a predicate, when it's a predicate, even though it still uses a helping verb, it does take a different form. Oh, okay. Hmm. How so, how drastically different? It's just a suffix, a simple okay. syllable, syllable suffix, um, which, yeah, I forget what it is. In, in any case, the point is, if you're going to have somewhat flexible word order and <laughs> um, noun-like, non-agreeing adjectives, then you might want to think about having some way to distinguish attributive from predicate, especially if you don't have a copula. Uh, yeah. Let so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you that, you know, this... Natural languages do this all the time, so there's this tool for you to to use. Yeah, certainly if you don't have a copula, you want you want to make sure that the the two things are distinct in some way, whether it's word order or different form or something. Right. So you can say the big cat is tired in all your word orders, um, and still know where things go. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. We can say we've given a lot of different techniques and stuff for people to. Not necessarily get rid of your adjectives, but to make your attribution and such more interesting, I'd like to say. It is interesting to me to find out how many different ways there are to do this, especially um, attributively. There's just a lot more variation than I had really ever sat down and thought about. You've got nouns in opposition, you've got verb-like things, you've got various kinds of prefixes or suffixes, you have linking particles just for adjective kind of attribution. So there, there's a lot of possibilities and plenty of languages that may have multiple ways all at the same time. Yeah. Um, so do either of you guys have any last thoughts before we move on to our featured conlang? I think we pretty much covered... I had one more quick question. Uh, yeah? <laughs> Sorry not to draw this out, but... Um, if you have, we've all talked. We've talked about if there is one adjective and one noun. But what if you have multiple adjectives and multiple nouns? Does is there um, could there be one where maybe say you have five adjectives and one noun? Maybe the last four adjectives follow one one means of uh, inflection, and then that first one or the one closest to the noun maybe follows a different structure. I wasn't sure if you knew of anything like that. Uh, first of all, when in fluent speech would we use that many adjectives? Well, if you just, I mean, I suppose this comes along the question of just these being example sentences, but if you're saying, like, the big green ball, that's just two. Yeah. I suppose if you were, I'm not actually meaning five, but if you said, like, you know, the big green floatable ball or something in that situation where you have just more than one is what I was just trying to get at. Yeah, that is, that that might be a little bit more complicated than people encounter normally, but I know that adjectives generally have some sort of order based on semantics that mm-hmm. depends on the language, right? Yeah. Right. We've really not talked about that, which is kind of a, a different issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little it's a little separate from this issue, but that would be an interesting thing, whether, like, if you have two classes of adjectives and they're both modifying the noun, which one comes mm-hmm. first? <laughs> I guess it would have to do with, like, if you're using the relative clause thing and the novelizer thing, it depends on where your relative clauses go. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, it's funny, Mike, that you asked this because this um, – oh, gosh, two years ago now, in October, a whole bunch of people who study NOTV met in California <laughs> with Paul Fromer to talk about, and we spent uh-huh. a good chunk of time trying to address this very issue <laughs> because, because NOTV uses uh, a linking particle mm-hmm. like Coptic does. And what if you want to say the little, the little blue bird mm-hmm. and – we came up with rules for this, and the point is, in general, you do not want to have – you use normal conjunctions and then link the whole thing to the noun with an attributive clause. So the dog, which is stinky and rabid. <laughs> so um, sometimes you can – yeah, you could do it that way. I mm-hmm. guess you could – I guess that's that's something we'll have to – to research and reserve for a future episode to go into more depth on. So It actually yeah. turns out to be interesting. How do you deal with multiple adjectives yeah. being yeah. used attributively? Um, in classical Greek, for example, you must always use a conjunction. Yeah. Hmm. The big and angry 
philosopher. Yeah. Um, if that's about all we have to say, really, I think we can uh, move on. That that was an interesting bit at the end, and uh, mm-hmm. I wish we could go even further into this, but I think we've talked quite a bit on this topic already. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. My apologies. No, no, it's, it's, it's great a use that you... Yeah, it's great. People should think about the question. Yeah, Mm. it's great that you're raising some interesting questions at the end here. But why don't we move on and let's talk a little bit about our featured conlang today, which is Lojban. So Lojban actually started it out its life in 1955 as Loglan. It was, or Loglan, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, which was created by James Cook Brown. And basically, it gained the name Lojban in 1988 because basically James Cook Brown was being a little uh, a bit uh, annoying and He not... was pulling a volapuke. Yeah, he was, he was trying to retain control of the language when the community wanted to go a different direction. And so Bob Le Chevalier who is still the president of um, the Logical Language Group, I believe it's called, actually created sort of a... He created a relex of Loglan, which he called Lojban. And from there, Lojban continued to be be, uh, changed and modified and evolve a little bit so that really it's not it's not any so much like uh, Logland except for the original philosophy behind it. But the philosophy is a, of a language that gets rid of in- ambiguities and is very extremely precise to the point that you could almost use it for like programming. Hmm. And um, that has sort of some uh, implications as as far as human learnability, and uh, I have a quote here from Land of, Land of Invented Languages that I I have. Um, Erica Oakrent said, "I didn't see much live conversation at the Logfest. That's that's um that's a, a convention for Lojman, but I did see a little. It goes very very slowly. It's like watching people do log division in their heads." Of course, the types of people who are attracted to Lojban are precisely the types of people who are good at doing long division in their heads. <laughs> Almost everyone there had some kind of engineering or math background. So that, so anyway, that sort of indicates to you what Lojban is and how and and why it is the way it is. Sort of, it's it's attracted all these people who are very analytical minded and very much. In, interested in precise language mm. and that has fed into it becoming more and more um, you know having more and more minute distinctions well <laughs> I mean it was invented by a guy who's a sociologist uh-huh. James Cook Brown he's not or was not he died in 2000 um, he was not an engineer and he was performing a basically a sociological experiment about the superior wharf hypothesis. Yes. So, I mean, he, he, the, the, the idea is that Loglan was and Lojban is a spoken form of predicate calculus. Um, for those who don't know what predicate calculus is, it's a very formal way of making statements, of encoding propositional content that is clear and unambiguous, um, not because there are a 523 words for chair, but because the logical relationships are easy to see and work with. Mm-hmm. By virtue of making a correct, a grammatically correct statement, you have a statement that can be plugged into um, a syllogism um, reliably. Um, so uh, that's an important thing to make here is that we're talking about predicate calculus rather than, say – uh, what's the thing called? Ithquil. Oh yeah, Ithquil right. is more. Ithquil is more about making distinctions on the words. I, I actually saw this when I was looking over the Lojman grammar. It's much more about 
the syntax. And it also, I think one thing that makes it easier than Ithquil is it has a much, it doesn't have a ridiculously huge phoneme inventory to deal with. Yeah. Right. Um, so do we want to talk about, we want to roll back then and, and go look at some phonology first? Um, sure. Yeah, we could. Okay. Um, the reason is because I want to complain about the orthography. <laughs> oh, yes. The orthography. Oh. Complain yeah. about that. Why, why, like, why use an apostrophe for ha? And then why use a period, period for, for glottal stop? Yes. That doesn't make sense at all, <laughs> does it? It's a logical yeah. language. Of course it makes sense. <laughs> Everything okay, Mike, everything. <laughs> Mike, Mike, can you play Devil's Advocate? Why would you use a, a, a period for a glottal stop? Well, I mean, I, I suppose if you're looking for something to be completely, um, you know, unambiguous, so to speak, if you take someone who, you know, tabula rasa, and they don't know what a period means, that's one symbol that perhaps you don't use in, um, what's the word? Um, the two letters put together, the uh, tr- digraphs. Uh-huh. And if you're looking to, you know, maybe distinguish it from others, I think that would be one thing, one option. However, the the, the issue is periods, I don't I think periods are by and large used as punctuation, not as actual um, you know, graphemes. So that does kind of go counter contrary to I guess what they're looking for, an unambiguous, very precise transcription. Well, um, it, it it works for their purposes, I guess. Yes, but yeah, the 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 point I think that you were trying to get to is that Logeman doesn't exist in a la- in a vacuum, vacuum. and mm-hmm. most learners of Logeman, I would suspect, are familiar with English. Yeah, and I think... <laughs> or any language written in the Latin alphabet. Yeah. Oh, well, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> I think that I mean, if you were going to use the period for glottal stop. Uh, it just seems like there'd be a lot of unlearning required, and maybe that's why people were using, looking like they were do, doing long division, because they were being like, okay, so carry the period and pronounce it here. Oh, wait, no, that's English. And it just is very, it seems almost like yeah. just complicated for the sake of being something in, innovative. Well, to be honest, I think getting used to the orthography maybe is is not as hard as just the uh the complexities of uh Lujban syntax. Yeah, no, I agree. That you, you learn okay, apostrophes h period is glottal stop. Why on earth did they do that and you move on, right? It's not yeah, difficult. It's, yeah. It's just surprising and gives well, I'll I mean as in terms of marketing, it certainly gives a language a very distinct appearance. <laughs> yeah. Or blocks of text of Lojban have a have a distinct appearance. On the other hand, you can say that Lojban doesn't need punctuation because of another um, thing that I find odd in that it has a a sentence separation particle, yeah. things like that. So I don't know. They've they've taken out anything that has anything to do with prosody or anything and made it explicit with particles in the language. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, the the goal is that in addition to being well-formed predicate calculus, or at least, I mean, there's plenty of stuff in the language that does not fit in any way, shape, or form into predicate calculus. We can get to those in a bit. Um, but it is supposed to be parsable, unambiguously parsable by a computer. Mm. A, a well-formed Logeban utterance. Um, so, what was I going to say? Dun, 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 I forget entirely, sorry. No worries. Um, there, yeah, and there, mm-hmm. they, they, oh, they actually have a uh, a Logeman to English machine translator to test sentences on, right? They may well. There's an awful lot of material out floating around on the internet yeah. about Logeban, including their mon- gigantic, huge grammar of the thing. I'm <laughs> sorry, Mike. What you were going to say something? Oh no, I think. Um, what was I going to say about that? Um, I it slipped my mind now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have it's been interrupted. Right. Oh, it's fine. Lost an hour this morning. Maybe that's why. <laughs> but the... um, one thing I want to say is the uh, the grammar that I found on the Logeban site, um, I think 
we've kind of discussed this off the uh, off the air before a little bit in that there's an annoying fact that the the main Logeman reference grammar first of all it's sort of a learning grammar which is okay it's, that's fine style to write it in um, but they use all native grammatical terms and it makes it really hard for me to follow when they don't use noun and verb and particle mm-hmm. and uh, they instead use these Logeban words that I'm not sure what they mean. Yeah. I mean, I understand why they do this, but it does present a raft of challenges to try to understand what is being said. And I think part of it is that they have their own linguistic theory probably dealing with creating uh, proper predicate calculus and thus they have to use different word classes than are available to modern linguistics, but I still think that it's a little confusing to have to deal with all new terms rather than sort of slightly redefining noun and verb and such. Sure. So here's a sentence, the first sentence from section 9 of chapter 12. Okay. It is common to form Lujvo that omit the Rafsi based on Shmavo of Selmaho Se as well as other Shmavo Rafsi. Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> yes, again. <laughs> for someone who's just trying to scan and get a feel for the language, that's a little yeah. um, daunting. Yeah, to I save the least. Able... What? Oh, I oh. said to save the least. Go on. Yeah. One thing that is interesting that I was able to parse out was, and I think we talked about this slightly in connection with uh, Ladan, is they're not evidentials, really. They're, there's a, a whole bunch of adnitu- attitudinal uh, markers in Lojban that yes. are extremely precise. Yes, yes. Mm. I mean, t- honestly, for me, there are two things a conlanger not interested <laughs> in speaking predicate calculus can learn from Lojban. Mm-hmm. One is the tremendously huge collection of these attitudinals. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the the very schematic way they have of combining them does not seem very natural, but in terms of getting ideas for vocabulary for your own natlang, it's like you can look at this, you can it gives you insights into just gives you ideas and insights about how these ideas might be broken down and how you might want to put them in your own language. Second, the base core vocabulary, and I forget the the term for these fundamental predicates. I think maybe it's shmavo, um, C-M-A-V-O. I think that's mm -hmm. Are really interestingly defined. Many, many, many predicates, what we would most of us consider verbs, in... Lojban, have a potentially have a large number of arguments. It's not just subject and direct object. Um, for example, the Shmavo Flalu, F L A L U, has up to potentially five arguments. That's an interesting. Mm. So, what it are is those? Defi- it is defined as F1 is a law specifying F2. For community F3 under conditions F4 by lawgiver F5. Oh, okay. So those are positional, but if you leave things out or want to shuffle them around, you have particles to clarify. Wow. So In case it's not precise enough for you. Pardon? <laughs> I'm sorry. I said in case it's not precise enough for you. My point is, if mm-hmm. you're stuck on vocabulary and you want to talk about law, go look at Lojban's definitions for law and pull out part of that. I think five yeah. arguments to a single verb-like thing is too many, <laughs> frankly. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a little difficult, say, but yeah. just it's such a great tool for thinking about vocabulary creation in a natural language, a naturalistic language at any rate. I'd so say, you, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so you'd have intransitive, ditransitive, tritransitive, quadratransitive, and pentransitive? I don't think it makes sense (laughs) to use that terminology. Yeah. I don't think, for example, there's a passive mechanism. Yeah. Oh, really? It it uses word order shuffling and particles to let you know that your argument structure has been diddled with. (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? I would say that don't take anything verbatim from Lojban because 
pretty much all of it is sort of engineered. Mm-hmm. Unless you're an Engelanger, we we should have gotten an Engelanger on a podcast to talk about this because yeah. But, um, and if for Art Langers, which I think most of our audience is, that's what um, the hosts are. So that's sort mm-hmm. of the skew of the show. Um, I would say don't take anything verbatim from Lojban, but use it for like a, a a seed of an idea. Don't because any if you take anything verbatim or nearly the same as even a single word like this, it's going to be a little bit unrealistically specific. Mm. Right, which is what I say. Pick and choose. Pick and yeah. choose. And just, it's again, because of how it's designed, it's useful for thinking about your own vocabulary. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mike, do you have any final thoughts about Lojerman or anything? Um, well, it does look like it's very precise and it's meant to be used in that very sort in ver- that very cut and dry, very precise, no ambiguities, um, framework, which it, for that it's wonderful, but I don't know how natural it would be or how poetic you could be. And without having to lug all that baggage behind you of this is exactly which flower on the tree I'm trying to describe. So, um, there, it, are, there is poetry in Lojban. That's there's also, yeah. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I don't. I don't have an example of poetry. I'm going to do, but I'm going to splice in some audio here so that people can can hear Lojban. Ishoi mihe nitsion Nicholas imidorinsa muhilenudo shohachido lemi samshlupa sezuskinoi. Other than that, I don't think we have much else to uh, to say about it. William, do you have any final thoughts? Um. Yeah, no, I, I feel we're shortchanging Lojban a little bit just because mm-hmm. it's so bewildering and doesn't really, it's not the sort of language I'm interested in learning. Yeah. Um, which I is could. funny, which is funny from the guy who has no problem learning a language like Ladan still finds Lojban vexing. Um, oh. Partially because, just like Ithquil, I'm still not sure I'm smart enough to speak mm-hmm. Lojban. I'm not sure anybody is. I was going to try to get a Loj, I was trying to get a Lojbanist on the show, but. Uh, I kind of waited a little bit too long, and it and it didn't work out. But uh, if any uh, Lojbanists uh, get a hold of this uh, show, then please, you know, give us some feedback. Keep it, keep it. Don't, don't, don't give us a big treatise because I don't think we can read those on the show. <laughs> but if we got something wrong specifically, or if you have some some other resources that we may have not seen that can help us, then feel free to leave comments or email conlangry at gmail.com. Yeah. That, that yes. can help us. So I'm not done with Lojban yet. Okay. Oh, uh, Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> A little bit more from William here. <laughs> A little bit more from William and Lojban. Um, it has an entire chapter to talk about attitude and emotional indicators. Yes. Well, we, we tremendous that, tremendous clarity is possible with these, but it makes me think of the problem with that that Bianca had with Ladon. Oh yeah. Do you really want to be this mm. clear? Is there not value in language that has a little squish room? Yes. Mm-hmm. For perhaps machine translation or certain kinds of poetry, this armamentarium, this gigantic collection of words that Lojban has to indicate all sorts of things about emotion and mood and attitude and all of that might have value. But I sometimes wonder in day-to-day conversation if you want all of these. Now, are those... I presume those are optional, are they? They are optional. They are optional. Um, But someone put them in for a reason, and I know that Lojbanists very much enjoy playing with them. Mike, what do you think? Do you think uh, there's there's some value in being able to be a little bit ambiguous about your own emotions and such? I think so. I think it there's I think there's an attraction. To, I mean, I like I like for it not to be compulsory. Like you can, if you want to be very specific about something wonderful, but if you do want to have um, freedom to maybe leave something up to someone just to see if they're per- that perceptive, or if you want to just maybe be on a level that's not everything's cut and dry out in the sunlight if you actually want just to have 
something underneath to really give an elusive kind of quality to what you're saying. I, me personally, I wouldn't have something that cut and dry. I don't think. Yeah, I. I mean, think, part part of this. Well, go ahead, George. Um, I think it, it's the same problem that we had with the some of the evidentials of Ladon is that. It's not so much that it's so specific, and I don't know if people monitor their emotions that specifically anyway, but it's just socially awkward to disclose that information yeah. in the context of what everything you're saying. Right. There's a good point, too. We have to stop and self-evaluate all the time. Um, <laughs> um, and then part of this is a, a – so I have two points. One of this is there's a philosophical distinction here since I see language fundamentally – as social behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it communicates information, but that's incidental, in my opinion, to the fundamental thing language does. So that puts me already at odds somewhat with Lojban's goals. Um, and then I was just thinking back to this issue of how slow one speaks Lojban. It just it reminds me of this common trope in science fiction of these very wise, ancient, spacefaring races who take a day to say hello. <laughs> maybe maybe they're speaking Lojban and then they just take some that long to construct or, or, well-formed or, sentences with the appropriate <laughs> emotional and attitudinal markers. Or even uh, in fantasy, maybe this is what the Ents speak. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the Ents are all logical positivists. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't think so actually, but I think the Ents <laughs> language is more extremely redundant. But anyway, mm. <laughs> that that gets into Tolkien geekery that we we don't right. want to get into. I really wanted <laughs> to talk about the fact that Lojban has sixty three tense words, but I couldn't find Jeez. enough. I didn't find a nice table. So oh, that was but, an interesting thing that I saw. What what? Why don't we mention that really quick? Sort of. Uh, we can't talk about everything about Lojban. It's too big. But it is huge, and I think didn't Erica Okren say it's is of all the conlang she's seen, it is the best documented. And that yes, is certain. It, it's it is well documented. I don't know if I understand the documentation, but anyway, um, what what you said, William, I think it's very interesting that they have an odd concept of tense in Lojban, and that include it includes both space and time. And it has uh, a lot of uh, relative uh, distinctions with all of that. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, I don't think we can go through everything about it. But yeah, it has um, the tense system encodes the direction and uh, space as well as time sometimes. But I don't know... Uh, from the examples, it seemed like it was optional to include all of that. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand those are optional. Yeah. Um, well, uh, unless there's one more thing for somebody to say about Lojban, uh, is there one more thing from anybody? There are, but I'll just be quiet. That's, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've we've gone on long enough. I mean, I just there's a great richness to it, even though it's not a sort of language I think I could speak. Yeah. Mm. Why don't we kind of because we we might end up going long if we <laughs> if we talk too too much more about Lojban, and I encourage people to point out things in comments and such. But uh, why don't we move on to feedback while we still have time to do a feedback? And uh, we got an email from Aiden. I think that's how his name is pronounced, and he said. Just wanted to say, I finally tracked down these podcasts of yours, and I am thoroughly enjoying them. Really, I only heard about them fairly recently, as I happened to catch something on the conlang list where someone mentioned them. Lately, I've been crazy busy, and I don't and didn't know about them. After a month or three of dithering, uh, I finally remembered and downloaded the lot. I'm only on episode seven. Not bad for one work week. And I'm really glad you figured out your George's volume issues. Yes, we, we our sound quality was awful before episode seven. <laughs> oh yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, I'll also say that it's making my commute so much nicer. <laughs> I swear you've probably saved uh eighty three thousand five hundred and forty seven lives since I'm not all aggro. Just mellow and enjoying the cast. 
That's right. The Conlangery podcast soothes the savage beast. Yes. So thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited to listen to all the rest over the next month or two, and I hope you guys keep up the great work for a long time to come. Yeah. Uh, I I worry about what's going to happen on the road when when he runs out eventually and has to go to weekly. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I saw this in the notes, and I'm like. I, I was surprised to see this bit of gamer talk moving out into the bigger world. Mm. Oh, what's this? Aggro. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know where where he. Uh, well, he says he's on conlang list, so he's a he's a conlanger. But yeah, a lot right. of conlangers are also kind of geeky. So I've Not seen all. aggro used in, <laughs> in non-game uh, associated. Uh, um, yeah, I will remind you that I am slightly older than you, and even though I have friends my age who are gamers, I don't know that. I think Agro's. Well, I have no idea how how old Agro is, but only in the last year or two have I started seeing it outside of gaming contexts. It's hmm. it's an MMO term mostly, I think. And what does it even mean? I mean, I mean, it's obviously there's some measure of aggressiveness, but. <laughs> Agro in video games refers to uh, a hostile mob paying attention to you in, in yeah. terms of how much, how much, how likely it is to attack you. But outside of it, it, it's I guess just generally, generally how much aggressiveness you have. Okay, okay, that's good to know. I don't want to use it wrong ever if I feel suddenly <laughs> in the mood to use the word. Yeah, um, but that was that's. Um, that's a show for us. I think we can wrap it up a little bit. Um, uh, Mike, do you have yeah. any final words of wisdom? Oh, man, I, I guess just sample all the different kinds of things and seek out the different ways that something can be expressed so that you can feel find that way that you want to express something. That's what you're looking for. And if you can't find it, invent something new. I'd say try to, you know... Anything is possible, and there's so many languages out there with so much diversity. It's it's brilliant. It's wonderful. Yeah, just go go nuts searching for stuff. And go William, nuts, yeah. William, do you have anything? Um, it's not so much words of wisdom as an idea for keeping yourself humble about your own conlang. Try to translate David Bowie lyrics. <laughs> try try this in your conlang. Ashes to ashes, funk to funky, we know Major Tom's a junkie. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that that will take some effort. Yes, that's my point. Yes. How would you translate that to a natlang? Other than especially, especially funk to funky. Right? Yeah. Uh well I'm gonna say that those are good uh, words of wisdom for both of you guys and I'm going to say happy Conlang. You have been listening to Conlangery. You can find the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes at conlangery.com including links to our featured Conlang and a few resources to help you make sense of today's topic. You'll also find links to subscribe to us on iTunes or through other podcatchers to our Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus pages and a whole lot more. Questions, comments, and suggestions may be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. You can also submit those translated greetings we play at the top of the show or conscripts to display in our header. Please see the contribute page for details. Thanks for listening. It's I only Chinese. ever knew you as Yiming, so... Yeah, well, my Chinese name is Yiming, Yi. And when I, was, when I was in Taiwan, I added a third syllable. Oh, that's cool. I I need to... I still hate my the fact that my Chinese name just means George. Yeah. I have. I know nothing. Well, technically... Okay, technically, my, my Master's of Arts degree says foreign languages, and then the concentration was in linguistics. Oh, okay. What, your mother was Hakka, was it? She's from Singapore. She's from Singapore. Yeah. But so she does speak I'm sorry? She's she's
Chinese origin? Is it Hakka or what? Well, she's actually Singapore is a bit is a little bit mixed like here, so she has Chinese and a little bit of Japanese and some Malaysian, and then um, she speaks um, both Hokkien and Teochew. So um, she has a lot of that Southeast Asian linguistic background and mix in her. What's oh, the second cool. one? A lot of people don't know about a lot of the different Chinese languages. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I know some of these minor Chinese dialects have more speakers than some national languages of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody knows them. But no one knows what the Danes are saying anyway. So. All right. Um, oh, William, I almost usually. always have the first bit because I think of notes over the week and add them. Oh, yeah, okay. William. William is the 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 hardest working on at least research and stuff mm-hmm. on this stuff. My well, job is moderating and doing the editing afterward, and I'm a terrible right. moderator anyway. I mean, sometimes I do research, but most of the time these are just things that are in my brain, and then they percolate out over a week. Oh, yeah, wow. but you've been conlanging for forty years, so you've basically no, for, no, for 20 no, years, merely 20 years, thirty. Yeah, I don't really know what goes on to, goes into the making of, so I'm really a little bit nervous because I don't know if this is just, uh, you know, run by the seat of the pants or if there's like a script I have to memorize or what. No, no, no. There's never no. a script. There's these list of topics and we'll cover them and then we'll remember other things and we'll add to them. And uh, If the Mormons come knocking at my door. <laughs> <laughs> this winter has been surprisingly mild, so... Mm-hmm. Um, it's currently 64 degrees here, which is unprecedentedly warm for this time of year. Hmm. That's unusual. <laughs> it is. This this whole winter has been quite peculiar. Yes. Oh, so you're one of the Jersey kids that came to WVU because it was cheaper. Well, I'm one of the you Jersey could... kids that came down to WVU because of the marching band. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always analyzing people's accents. All right. Yeah, actually, um, but you know, people who have studied foreign languages sometimes they have um, they have influences that are not from where they're where they're from originally. True, you, but some of your vowels would make no sense coming from Hakka. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> well, no Hokkien. Yeah, Hokkien. Sorry, not Hakka. Uh, I, that was my mistake, not Hakka. <laughs> William, if I when I end up in Wisconsin, you may see a, a a surprising change in me because I'm one of those people who picks up the accent of wherever I am surprisingly fast. We're going to puri- we're going to purify your O vowel completely. What are we going to say about Lojbang? Well, I'm actually looking at it right now too. I'm, I had a I looked a little bit at it yesterday, but um, it's. Oof. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's oof is about right. Yeah. It seems less like a nice dissection of the language. Hello? Mike? What happened? We lost Mike. Hey, I jumped to my iPhone because uh, that's exactly why I don't like the internet in my house. I'm hardwired, then it cut out. So I'm on 3G now, so I don't expect any uh, inter- in- interruptions. If you don't mind using your 3G service for that. Well, I can hop on the. I know what I'll do. I know exactly what I'll do. I um, I'll. Yep. Now I'm on my Wi-Fi, and if that cuts out, hopefully the 3G will jump in and save the day. <laughs>